0: All right, that's Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together as family this evening. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free. Thank you for giving us lessons, Father, that though they might be tremendously unpopular, are absolutely necessary. And thank you for giving this small ministry the courage, the edification of spiritual gifts, including all of them that function so this ministry can function. Thank you for giving us this courage to take these so-called unpopular messages out to a world that is just beside itself, that is just so lost, so confused, although it thinks it's in the light, its darkness is ever-increasing, Father. We thank you for the privilege of doing these things in the name of your Son, whom you sent that which we are most grateful and thankful, of course, who died on the cross in our stead, so that even an evening like this one is a reality for all of us. Thank you. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. I just realized I'm probably going to have to speak pretty low. Can you guys hear this all right? All right, because my voice, uh, I think all the pollen, I've been you know going crazy with my allergies and uh gets into your throat so just uh I'll just have to speak a little quieter this evening uh with that said um, again the evening special message title is american dating is a counterfeit um, that's a strong statement and it's a unpopular statement um, I've already had um, a couple of few run-ins on the subject Somebody actually left the ministry already, believe it or not, um, as a result. So um, that's the way it goes. Uh, This is what I told uh, DJ. um, Everybody seems to have a threshold when it comes to truth. And everybody's all happy and gay until that threshold for them is met. Until the time comes when the Holy Spirit says, it's your day, my friend. And he points directly at you. And it's something that you don't want to hear. And you have to make a decision about whether to move forward or not. Or play games or go looking somewhere else for someone that's going to teach you lies, essentially. Um, That's what I've realized after, you know, 10 years or so uh, leading a ministry, uh, that people uh, have thresholds and not everybody wants the truth. So I'm praying that you all remain uh, strong and steadfast, and even though, you know, lessons like this may sting, um, know that it's for your own good. Amen? All right. Um, So let's see what the Spirit has to say about this topic. Um, Let's begin with what we might call sage wisdom from Solomon himself that echoes wisdom I used to receive from my mom when I was a kid. She'd say, you know, Eddie, you can make any decision you want in life Just understand that every decision has a consequence, good or bad. I'm not telling you it's going to be good or bad. Just know that every decision you make is going to have a consequence. Little did I know she was ripping off Solomon. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) But she probably didn't even know it at the time either. Go to Ecclesiastes 11.9. But wisdom is wisdom, right? Ecclesiastes 11.9. So let's begin with some wisdom. And when we're talking about dating, there's an awful lot of uh, decision-making that goes on, very active decision-making. Ecclesiastes 11.9, Rejoice, 11.9, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet, yet, know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. And remember, as I've taught you many times, His judgment is sometimes good and sometimes not so good. Sometimes it's, you know, what we would call a blessing. They're all blessings, but hopefully you get the point. Sometimes they're favorable and sometimes they're not so favorable. Sometimes they're disciplined. But He will judge. So just know that whatever you do, whatever decisions you make in this life, uh, God will bring you to judgment for all of them. Solomon was saying something very simple here. It's really a note of caution up here in the board. It's good to be satisfied with the things in life, but be careful. Be careful. The gift of satisfaction, and it is a gift because there's a lot of people in this world that are never satiated, right? Never satisfied, implacable type individuals, and they wonder why. It's because the things they're garnering to themselves are not from God. So true satisfaction is a gift from God. If we charge through life with sinful abandon, we risk ruin even. There are many things to enjoy, but here's the key. They must be enjoyed in faith and obedience. Ecclesiastes 11.9. There are lots of things to be enjoyed in this life. But they must be enjoyed in faith and obedience. And that goes specifically, you ready? Specifically for relationships or in relationships, especially man or male and female relationships. There's a design that God has put in place that includes a certain satisfaction and it really is a gift. But it must be enjoyed in faith and obedience. <clears throat> For example, sex, even sexual thoughts, are grace gifts from God if and only if they are between a husband and a wife. That's what the Bible says. Sex, even sexual thoughts, are grace gifts from God if and only if they are between a husband and and a wife. If you're not married, then anything that produces impure and or immoral thoughts or actions ought to be hacked out of your life. Why? Because it doesn't bring glory to God. That's why. Any questions? Because it doesn't bring glory to God. If you're not married, then anything that produces impure and or immoral thoughts or actions ought to be hacked out of your life because it doesn't bring glory to God when you defile the holy temple that is your body. It doesn't bring glory to God when one of his own is an emotional basket case because of sensuality. It doesn't bring glory to God when godly love is supplanted by some worldly counterfeit. None of these things bring glory to God. Go to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. But yet we have scripture specifically on this subject. I'm going to give you so much scripture tonight, your fingers are going to be sore. Why? Because you want to guess why? Because this topic, I don't want you to think it's Pastor Ed. I want you to know. I want you to see for yourself, and there's no way I can cover it all. I want you to see for yourself what Holy, Holy Scripture says about these topics. Not Pastor Ed, not me filling in the blanks. I want you to see what Holy Scripture says about these topics. And then you can try to wrestle with God on your own time. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do. What? Do all to the glory of God. You see it? Whatever you do. Any questions? Whatever you do. That means everything. Do all to the glory of God. Up here on the board. If you didn't get it, let me spell it out for you. This means everything. Not just certain parts that give you the ability to point and say, see... I do this or that to the glory of God. Holy Scripture says, do all. That is the objective and therefore the godly mindset. Do all to the glory of God. Everything, not just certain parts, because people play these games, right? Oh, I do to the glory of God. You see, I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this. And they have these sort of favorites that they turn to. But he says, no, he says, I want you. I don't want bits and pieces of you. This isn't a game. I want everything that you do to be to my glory. I don't want you hiding out in some back seat somewhere in the dark thinking you're, what, getting away with something? I see everything. Everything applies to you. Don't make that mistake. I've heard that from people too. Oh, that doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. It really does. Because your creator says it does. So if your creator says that applies to you, guess what? It applies to you. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This means everything. So please keep this in mind as the Spirit has something really big to share with you this evening. We're going to be going to a lot of Scripture, as I said. With that said, it seems some of you have stumbled a little on the topic of American dating, though surprisingly few as far as I can tell. But still, I always have that theory. It's like cockroaches. If you see one, there's a thousand, right? If I hear about one person stumbling so bad that they leave the ministry, chances are there's some degree of it in all of you or something that's rubbing some of you in a way that's not really something that you're keen on. So you know what the Spirit says? Great. All right. This is perfect. I've got your attention now. I'm just a vessel. Go to 2 Timothy 2.22, 2 Timothy 2.22. Just imagine before I even continue how unpopular this message is. It's not even fun. It's, It's comical how unpopular this message is in this world that we live in, especially this country that promotes all kinds of things completely, as you would say, orthogonal to what I'm teaching this evening. 2 Timothy 2.22, Now flee from youthful lusts. I wrote a whole blog on that. Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Up here on the board. Flee from youthful lusts. God tells us to abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Romans 12.9b. He's telling us, To run away from youthful lusts, for example, impure sexual thoughts. Now, youthful lust covers more than just sexuality, by the way, but that's been our topic of discussion. But he is telling us to run away from youthful lusts, including things like impure sexual thoughts, even. Remember, sins begin as thoughts. And there's such a thing as a mental attitude sin, even. Avoid impurity is the gist and do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, that is the gist of what he's saying. Avoid impurity and do all to the glory of God, as we just saw. So, practically speaking, if what you're thinking, saying, or doing doesn't bring glory to God, then stop it. You can't change yesterday, but you can stop right now. If what you're doing doesn't bring glory to God, then stop. It goes without saying that the actual act of sex outside of marriage is immoral, although that is pretty fleeting as well in our own country. But there's still a, even within Christianity, I believe there's still somewhat of a stickiness that most Christians, if pushed on this topic would say, yeah, I'm not supposed to have sex outside of marriage. They may not make a big deal out of it. They may not think it's a big, they say, oh, that doesn't apply to me because I'm in love. Please. They may not say that, but where it gets dicey is with the rest of the dating game. But we didn't have sex, so it's all good. Oh, really? Oh, really? Never had an impure thought? Oh, you are mugging up? You didn't touch each other. Oh, we'll get to touch, trust me. Somehow you, you, were, you, just, you just whipped right through it and didn't have any kind of sexual arousal whatsoever? <laughs> Why is there a screaming baby in the living room? <laughs> what happened? Because you didn't flee. That's what happened. So we gotta stop playing games. Just stop it. So I think it's fair to say it goes without saying that the actual act of sex outside of marriage is immoral and therefore something to flee from. Go to 1 Corinthians 6.18. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Paul writes about this. I want to give you some original here just so, again, you see it. So you don't think that it's Pastor Ed being, you know, uh, inordinately um, old-fashioned or something like that? I'm not. I mean, I'm teaching the Bible. This is my job. And if this is what the Bible says, then listen and don't make it about me because that's a mistake. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits outside outside the body or is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Up here on the board, there's that word, fuego, again, to escape, to flee, to run away. It's the same Greek word used in 2 Timothy 2.22 that said flee from youthful lust. Same concept, same word, same topic, actually. Flee immorality this time. But it's the same basic idea. Immorality is included in youthful lust. Again, flee from youthful lust. Only here, Paul uses a different word. Immorality. Well, guess what word immorality comes from? Porneia. It's derived from panao, to sell off. Now, doesn't that just sound, ooh, yeah. And you know what, what the English word for that is, right? It's porn or pornography. That's what immorality is. Panea, derived from panao, to sell off. Properly, a selling off, surrendering of sexual purity. Promiscuity of any or every type. Where we get the English porno, root word for pornography. Again, look at verse 18. Paul says, What? Flee! (laughs) Run away from that stuff. Run away from immorality. You're not gonna conquer it. So, run away from it. Like, flee it. Don't get stuck in that little situation with the cute little button of a girl. or or, or the handsome guy. Don't get stuck in that situation. Don't put yourself in that situation. Flee from it. I don't even want to talk about if the person's married. Verse 18, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You are his. And you would be abusing his property. He's our master. What you do with your time really is accountable to him. And he says, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So ask yourselves a simple question right now, given that pornea is the word for immorality here. I'm getting, I'm just getting here, I'm getting to something. So just, let's build on this. Ask yourselves a simple question. Given that pornea is the word for immorality here, does watching, let me ask you a question. Does watching pornography bring glory to God? Anybody want to stand up and say that that brings glory to God? Okay. Oh, but here's the thing. You ready? Some might argue that you're not having sex, right? And that's the so-called line in the sand when it comes to sexual immorality. As long as you don't have sex, you can do anything else, you just can't have sex. That's what some people suppose God has stated in his scripture. In his word. So let's just carry this out. Does watching pornography bring glory to God? You all laugh, so I'm assuming you say no. But some might still argue that you're not having sex. Are they supposing that visual stimuli doesn't breed sin in the most heinous of ways? Is this is this what they're supposing? That the angels themselves are going, it's just porn. He's definitely not sinning because there's no sex. Well, Jesus Christ had something to say about thoughts and actions. Matthew 5 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And oh, by the way, adultery is a sin. But I didn't have sex with her. I know. But you still sinned. Huh. So we know the, you know, quote, well, we didn't have sex statement is a garbage argument. For Paul wrote, we ought to have a pure heart. How pure is your heart when you're looking at pornography? Up here on the board. 2 Timothy 2:22. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord, how? From a pure heart. So, unless you want to take a stand right now that watching pornography is a pure-hearted thing to do, you might as well accept the biblical truth about, well, we didn't have sex, so. Which is that it's garbage. So listen up. Why do we allow such things as this mainstream dysfunction in our society? Why do so-called Christian circles even turn a blind eye to it? You might be saying, if you're a clever sort, like I know some of you are, and some that will listen to this will be, What's pornography got to do with general society or, moreover, dating? The answer is simple, everything. For only the circumstances are different. You might not be having sex with somebody that's on a screen, just like you might not be having sex with somebody who you're making out with. But the thoughts are the same. The sins are the same. The lust patterns are the same, right? Now, here's the, here's the kicker, and again, we're still building here. I'd argue that pornography occupies our streets. Look at the way people let their kids walk around today. Do you really think there's not a sexual arousal being manifest? Do you really think that? Look at the way some of the kids walk around today. Do you really think There's not some kind of a sexual arousal being manifest in and on and upon our streets. Some of you might recall this campaign a few years back. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your kids are? That's a good question, isn't it? It sounds almost fundy, right? Someone would say, oh, it's so fundy, fundamental. (laughs) Yeah, yeah what 's wrong with that what's wrong with knowing where your kids are at at ten p m so it 's a good question How about pornography on TV shows or the movies fifty years ago most r rated movies would have been x rated what we have is r rated movies some pg thirteen i've actually we 've actually turned off pg thirteen movies i 'm like what the No 13-year-old should be exposed. Nobody should be exposed to it, but definitely not a 13-year-old. These are our guidelines. That would be X 50 years ago. The question the Spirit's asking all of you is simple. Is the concept of, of viewing something that elicits impure thoughts bringing glory to God? Let me say it again. Is the concept of viewing something that elicits impure thoughts bringing glory to God? So, does it really matter where the scene occurs? Whether it's in front of a computer screen or a TV or on the street? Isn't the sin still the same? Isn't the lust pattern, aren't the mental attitude sins the same? So let's press on with Holy Scripture because some of you might have had or just had that thought, you know, well, it's not my fault if I walk around in a miniskirt and some pervert has a sinful thought. It's not my fault. Okay. You ready, oh wise one? What does your master your creator, your Lord, your husband, have to say about such thinking. Go to 1 Corinthians 13.4. 1 Corinthians 13.4. Just so none of you get off the hook, just so none of you are pointing to all the so-called pervs out there, I would argue it takes two to tango. That is two pervs. I'm serious. Not because it's Ed Collins. It's because this is what the Bible says. Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind and not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act how? Unbecomingly. Oh, they had to put that in there, didn't they? You know, darn the spirit for pointing these things out on us. Calling us to the carpet like this. Doesn't he know, this is 2017, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, here on the board, unbecomingly, from Askamaneo, Strong's has it, as to act improperly, unseemly, to behave unbecomingly, or even dishonorably, what is your body? A temple. You are dishonoring it if you are throwing it out there like a piece of bait. When you become a walking temple of pornography, do you follow? When you are actively become the object that elicits sinful thoughts in others. So your master says, cut it out. Is this bringing glory to me? You hanging out of your halter top? Or or men? Your your, your pants are somewhere down here? What's going on? To act improperly, unseemly, to behave unbecomingly, or even dishonorably, perhaps to consider something unseemly. Verse 6. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. If you agree that what I just described is unrighteousness, it doesn't... True love doesn't rejoice in making another person stumble. But rejoices with the truth. So let me ask you a question. Is, is prancing around town, God forbid in a church even, like some still do, not in our church, thankfully, at least not anymore, God forbid in a church, even like some do, people are prancing around in miniskirts, pretending that it's righteous or glorifying God in their body. There's nothing good, just think about this, there's nothing good about making a person of the opposite sex stumble by being unbecoming. Really, all you've done is mocked yourself as a tempter, or a temptress, depending on your gender. And neither is an admirable trait. Neither is an admirable trait. You might say, but everyone's doing it. You know, this is how people dress and act nowadays. Okay, go to 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three. 1 Corinthians 15:30. Everyone's doing it. Everybody wears mini skirts and pants around their, the crack of their butt. <laughs> Everybody does it. You know, that's how, it's, that's how we do it now. Oh, it's just kids. Oh, really? They're just kids? And because they're just kids, they, haven't, they don't understand sexuality yet? Are you kidding? I don't know what the statistic is, but it's literally like every 30 seconds, like a teenage boy thinks about sex. Or every three minutes. I forget what it is. In my case, it was probably more like three, but... I'm being funny. Come on, wake up. You guys are like, wow, he's totally perfect. See? Not many wise, not many noble. He's you, right? Okay, whatever. I don't care. Been there, done that. At least I'm honest. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Oh, so everybody's doing it? Yeah, everybody's doing it. So? Morals, ethos, up here in the board, means habit, manner, customs... <clears throat> morals, where we get the English ethics, of course, in context refers to that which friendship with the world corrupts. Consider our society's viewpoint on sexual sins. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's dating. Who doesn't, who doesn't, ha- who doesn't know a teenager that's not completely actively engrossed in dating? And what is going on? Why aren't all the Christian parents going, no, you can't, not under my roof, you can't do that. You cannot be mugging up and making out and doing all this other stuff. Why? Because I love you. That's why. You're not going out like that. You're not going out like that. You're not going out like that. You're definitely not going out like that together. I'm serious. This would be very common conversation 100 years ago. But for some reason in our country today, I'm a dinosaur. I'm off my rocker, do you see? I'm literally off my rocker. And so are you if you believe it if you believe scripture, if you've taken on social morals. Imagine this. Imagine stopping you and your friends and asking, you know, something like this. Seriously, it's a good question. We should all ask ourselves. Is what we're thinking about or actually doing right now bringing glory to God? For nothing is hidden from God's sight. probably be a, what do you call it, a buzz kill? Uh-huh. Scratching, and everybody just goes home. Is what we're doing right now, or thinking about doing, bringing glory to God. Hey, let's go out and get bombed. Is that bring glory to God? No, you know what the word says? That's dissipation. That means you can't even be filled with the Spirit. How's that bringing glory to God? It's not. That's why the Bible says don't do it. I wanna, I'd like to see that statistic. How many... How many pregnancies occur when someone's drunk or bombed or on drugs or something like that? I'd love to see that statistic because you know there's a huge correlation because self-control goes right out the window. Why? Because it's called dissipation. The Bible has a word for it. It means you can't be filled with the Spirit. You know, in the fruit of the Spirit, the last one in Galatians 5.23 is, guess what? Self-control. Oh, man, he's got everything covered. Yeah, he does. He does. He really does. That's, th- that's what I love, 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 love about the Word of God. There are no questions. So it's a good question, you know. You can ask your friends, I guess, you know. Is what we're thinking about or actually doing, bringing glory to God? For nothing really is hidden from God's sight. In other words, don't ever say something like this. God doesn't really care about, you know, this part of my life. Oof. That's a game you're playing so you can do things in darkness. Don't ever say that. I've said it to myself. Stupid. Like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. God doesn't really care about this part of my life. What? That's the stupidest thing ever. Don't ever say that, that God doesn't care about some portion of your life because he sees everything. DJ and I were talking about this. It's like a jar of marbles, right? I think a lot of people, a lot of people that go to church even, even so-called Christian churches, they, they have this little jar of marbles, you know, and the marbles are really like, you know, things you should do. They throw that in there. Well, here's something I should do. and And it's also got in there, you know, things you shouldn't do. And you throw the marbles in this jar, right? But what about all the space in between? Well, that's mine. See all the dark crevices, I get to sliver in. I get to do all these things when God's not looking. As long as, do all, if, as long as I do these things and don't do these things, whatever's left over is my time. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. God sees everything. John 3.19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. That's how I started off class. People don't want the truth snooping around in between the marbles. No, 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 no. I'll go to church. I'll do this thing. I'll, I'll even, okay, I'll go to the park within. I'll do it, right? Another marble in the jar. Less time for me, but still there's all these little dark crevices, right? And I can exist in my little sneaky little back alley self-life that nobody can see. Stupid, God can see everything. You see, evil hates the light, though. That's the point. Why? Because it can't survive in the light. That's the point. Darkness is extinguished with light. And that's what he's doing right now. For some of you, this, is, this might be the first time you've ever heard the strength of this argument against American dating. It might be the first time. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I can tell you this. If you accept it with a humble heart, there's going to be no more darkness in that area of your life. Because evil can only survive in darkness, but true light destroys it. That's why some people run away. They're like, whoa, the light's turning on. Let's get out of here. And they try to, like, you know, they bolt out of there before the lights come on. In the darkness, you might be able to fool a person with a counterfeit, you see. And oddly enough, people prefer the lights to be turned off so that they can be fooled. Or at least fool themselves for a while along with others and this whole charade is a is premeditated even it's premeditated so look at it this way you are being given truth right now from holy scripture and i do hope you realize this holy scripture and the truth shall make you free Arguably, to add to this, the greatest counterfeit of all time, of course, after Jesus and God is love. Whom shall we love first and foremost? Go to Luke 10, 27. Luke ten twenty seven. Where should our adoration go? Where should our, you know, who should we adore? Luke 10, 27, where should our first love be? And with who? Some snake in the grass? Luke 10, 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, Luke 10, 27, and your neighbor as yourself. That's how you're supposed to love. That's what true love looks like. It begins with the Lord. And then you have a love for others. Remember Perisouho? It's abundantly supplied to you. It overflows into the laps of others. Remember the order of love. Go to 1 John 4.19. 1 John 4.19. You don't hear those kinds of proclamations about other people, by the way. Although that's what the, uh, the romance novels have ripped off. I love you, baby, with all my heart and soul and strength and everything. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, he's all right. He's my rebound guy. He's the guy that I go to when, uh, you know, when you fail me, because you will, you know, because you're, you, you, whatever. First John four nineteen. we love, why? Because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has sent cannot love God whom he has not sent. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should, uh, should love his brother also. It's not love to try to destroy another individual. To the contrary, look at 1 John 2.15. 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world, John 2, 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, <laughs> excuse me, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Wisdom tells us this up here in the board, and you notice how much Scripture I'm giving you. Proverbs one ten: My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. I mean, we live in a like a petri dish of sin. This this country we live in, everywhere you go, there's sinners everywhere, and they're enticing you. And and I would argue, and you can feel free to disagree, but I believe there's a reason why there's. Sexual sins and immorality is pervasively mentioned in the Bible. It's because I would argue that the number one area of failure is sexual sin. That's my personal opinion about how this world gets people to sin. It's a complete trap. And the word says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Also appear on the board, 2 Peter 2, 18 and 19, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice. By how? Fleshly desires. This is Peter. By sensuality. Those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved I'd argue that most teenagers, not all, most teenagers are sexual slaves. You agree, D.J.? Yeah. Meaning they are so inundated with pornography, including inside their own schools even, that they are slaves. Disagree? Look around you and see if the following passage rings a bell. Romans 1.28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. 2 Timothy 3.4, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Walk down the halls of a high school. As a grown man, I have to almost look at the ceiling or the floor, one or the other. Because if I turn left or right, there's some young lady hanging out of her clothes, if you want to call it that. I'm saying to myself, what in the heck is going on? What is this kid doing outside of the house like that? She should be ready to get into a shower or something. <laughs> I'm serious. What are we doing? Look around. How does a young hormonal boy, and I'm just picking on the boys and the girls because it seems to be easier, how does a young hormonal boy live that life, walk those hallways 180 something days a year, and not be enticed? How? You tell me. It's literally impossible. And the, the, the best thing you could do to flee is look up or down. <laughs> and they're like, what's wrong with that kid? <laughs> What's wrong with him? Does you have a tick? <laughs> no, I'm serious. How do you deal with that? I feel bad for Sean. Sean's in high school. I feel bad for him. I'm like, how do you deal with it? Seriously. It's grotesque. This whole world is out of control. And it's all sexuality. <laughs> hey? I want to show you what Paul wrote about in terms of our current problem with immorality. Go to Galatians 5.19. Galatians 5.19, where we list the deeds of the flesh, which are evident. You're not going to believe what the first three are. You're not even going to believe it. The first three he lists, the deeds of the flesh. Are you ready? Verse 19 of chapter 5, Galatians. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are? immorality there you go how about impurity how about sensuality the first three listed are all have to do with sexual sins and all these things have to do with everything to do with american style dating because that's what it promotes immorality impurity and sensuality what do you think american dating promotes you got young hormonal people well i shouldn't say young because some people are old and they're doing it all over each other, entangled like spaghetti, and saying, "Oh no, we're good. We're totally bringing glory to God. Really, you haven't had one impure thought since you've locked whatever you're locking right there. Not one. Well, we haven't had sex, okay, but you've had it about a bazillion times in your head already, and so is she. You're just trying to be some kind of righteous by not doing it. <laughs> Who are we joking?" This, 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 this idea of sexual immorality in the Bible is so utterly pervasive. I'm not even scratching the surface. It's almost a joke. When I was preparing this, I had no idea I was preparing this this morning because I had oh, the lesson I was going with, right? It was almost a joke to me. I was offended. I'm saying to myself, let me step back for a second. Like, what the heck is going on? The Bible, and then when you dig in, you say, all right, so it, the Bible is chock full of warning, caution after caution about immorality and purity and sensuality. Why? Why? Because that's the lust of the flesh. Those are the, thing, those are the youthful lusts that Paul said, flee from, not wrangle with. Run away. Why? And if you're Satan, right? And you're the great enemy. And you have the weakness of all weaknesses to use. Like the atom bomb. Or, you know, I don't know, how, whatever the analogy is, right? Uh, the the ultimate aphrodisiac to sin. What are you going to use? You're easy prey. If he can get you in the right situation... You're easy prey. So this is not a, you know, what I'm guessing what the Spirit's saying here is, this is not a novel concept even. As a matter of fact, just about every writer in the Bible says you're going to be enticed by sexual sins. Verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, <coughs> excuse me, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that means somebody who's living in it, who has no you know, confession of it whatsoever in light of Holy Scripture as a believer, Do today's up-and-coming generations look more like that, like we just read? Or this, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, man, there he goes again. He covered all the bases again. I know. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Man's flesh is weak. And therefore, if tempted, and if that man doesn't heed Scripture and flee from his youthful lusts, he will fail. He will fail. Why do you think Paul wrote about sexual sins so often? Seriously. Why? That was in Galatians, for crying out loud. He was fighting against the law. What about, like, Corinthians, right? Right? bastardly crew. <laughs> why do you think he wrote about sexual sins? you think that's like this? Oh, well, you know, I'm just going to write about sexual sins because I've got nothing else to write about. It's because this pattern of sinning has always been a problem. Always. And Why do you think faithful men such as myself are still teaching these things? And I, I would say there's not many of us, to be honest. Um, but whatever. First Thessalonians four three, go there. First Thessalonians four three. This is not popular, my friends, at all. At all. This is very unpopular. But who cares? First Thessalonians four three, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification. You're supposed to be set apart for God. That's what sanctification means, right? Being set apart for God. That doesn't happen in the back seat of a Chevy. <laughs> 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 for this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that is, you will stain for, here it is again, son of a gun, again. At the top of the list, yeah, from the at the top of the list that you will abstain from sexual immorality. So the whole premise of sanctification, the opposite, what should I Okay, so okay, God wants to sanctify. This is awesome. Let me set up off for God's will. What do I do? Abstain from sexual immorality. Ah. Oh, first one out of the gate. Why? You, you you don't need a pastor to read that to you. You don't need my help. What does scripture say right there? Isn't it obvious? This is what God wants for you. He wants to sanctify you, but he can't do it if you're going to be a a, a sexual, immoral person. You're going to be defiling yourself all the time. And you're going to be a mess as a result. So abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification. And, ah, there's that word again, honor. Honor. Think about that. You have been bought with a price. Your body is a holy temple. Shouldn't you honor that? You couldn't pay the price. Shouldn't you honor that? Each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Do you see the contrast there? He's saying basically the unbelievers... That's how they act, like like animals. You're not animals. So maybe some of you are still, this is why he hired me, by the way, because I have a knack for ferreting out all the little cracks and crevices. You know why, right? I'm not going to say, but it should be obvious, because I've been there, right, judges? (laughs) Not all of them, but a lot of them, if not thought about them, Right? And DJ's laughing because he did the same thing. He's sick. He might be sicker than me. So maybe some of you are still trying to find some kind of a loophole around what I'm teaching. Because remember, God, uh, man is a good inventor. Maybe you're still trying to justify the American version of, quote, dating as righteous. Maybe you're saying there's nothing wrong with it. So let's continue. So there's no doubt in your mind. You ready? Here's the whopper. This is the big one for tonight, and I think I'm almost out of time, so go to 1 Corinthians 7.1. You might say to yourself, oh, great, so you're just tearing down American dating, and, and, and you just talk about this courting thing, but then you don't say anything about it. Well, give me time, will you? Sometimes you get, get rid of all the garbage in your soul before we get to the good stuff. All the good stuff is kind of you know, easy compared to all the garbage because it's really simple, as I've taught you. Most of my work in terms of complexity is because you're stupid flesh. God's way is really simple. Hey, dummy, ready? Don't be shacking up. Don't be mugging up. Don't be having sexually impure thoughts before marriage. In marriage, have at it. Go. (laughs) I encourage you. Go, go, go. Before that? No! No, no! Hey, that should be like a slogan. Go, go, go before that. No, no, no. Anthony, ready? <laughs> First Corinthians 7, 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, you ready for this? It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Oh, there it is. Not to touch a woman. Well, what does that mean? Because I saw you, Pastor. You gave Lois a hug. You must be a perv. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Whoever you are, we're going to have a I'm problem. Right? I'm serious. So there must be something, right? There must be something that we're not seeing. So I'll give it to you. Here it is. So concentrate. Here's the, and this is really the distinction between biblical courting and American dating. It's not the only difference, but if you're, you know, right now, in the moment, while you're still chewing on a lot of this stuff, and some of you, like I said, it's the first time. For now, it's not the only difference, but if you're looking for something tangible, like, what does the Bible say then? Here's a perfect place to start. You ready? Hapto. Touching. means to fasten to, lay hold of, cling to, to ignite. Oh, to ignite, to modify or change by touching. Trust me, Lois isn't changed when I hug her. She might be happy I show her love, but we ain't talking about changing. Sorry, Lois. Lois is like, let's just move on. (laughs) Bill is like, yeah, move on. He's like, I still got one good leg. I could chase you down. <laughs> All do love and respect. Properly, touching that influences and modifies. Touching someone or something in a way that alters, changes, modifies them. Impact touching. Huh. So it's good that we don't touch someone that way. Verse 7, part 1, part B again. It is good for a man not to do that to a woman. Do not touch a woman that ignites something. In either of you, do not touch them that way. Okay, when's the last time a couple of hormonal kids went out, held hands, and then kissed, and there wasn't an ignition? There wasn't some kind of an arousal. There wasn't some little flame called sex that started kindling. And as soon as that happens, the, the boy's like, I wonder how long this is going to take. This is American dating, right? Most, most uh, adults, they're like, how long? One more drink? That's how long it's going to take? One more drink? Nobody thought that was funny. I thought that was funny. <laughs> right? Because that's what happens. It just accelerates. Adults, they just skip everything. Let's just be hoes. Oh. (laughs) Too close to home? My bad. I'm serious. I'm serious. It's the same problem. And the Bible says, do not touch. It's good for a man. In other words, there's you know, in the marble jaw, there's no darkness. Do you understand? There's no darkness. It's good. a man not to touch a woman. And it goes, it takes two to tango, right? And I'll leave it here. It takes two to tango. The man's not to touch and the woman's not to entice the man to touch. See, each gender likes to play a little game. Well, she teased me and I did it. Well, he touched me and I was unwarranted. Well, zip up your... bra and your skirt and your shirt and everything else. So he's not doing that. And you keep your hands to yourself, dog. You're both at fault. One enticed the other. Who cares at this point? It's unholy. It's ungodly. There's nothing bringing glory to God when a man touches a woman that way. Is that fair? Is that what you see in scripture? Because that's exactly what I see. It said it is good for a man not to touch a woman that way. Something that is ignited, and don't act stupid. I didn't know. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Don't act stupid. I didn't know it was gonna. I didn't know. I didn't know it was gonna happen when I, you know, did this or did that. Yes, you did. Stop acting like a jackass. Stop. Stop not taking responsibility for yourself. You knew exactly what you were doing. And it was against this very scripture right here. It is not, or it is good for a man not to touch a woman that way. And focus on impact touching and to ignite something. And I guess, well, I've got plenty of notes for Sunday. <laughs> Alright, Father. Thank you so much once again for this ability to gather together as family, break bread, good, bad, or ugly. Father, we want it. We want the truth that sets us free. Thank you. We ask for traveling mercies as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs us so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.